someone asked me the other day what was virtue, and I gave a short answer. The Buddha never gives a short answer about anything because um, uh, there's so many aspects to everything. And, you know, they were called the analyzers. And so he, like, really, uh, n nothing is ever a short answer, and no one answer is the answer. Um, but one uh, definition of virtue, um, uh, according to the Vasudhi Maga, the path to purification, is that it is the, um, is keeping whatever vows we take. It says and you don't have to take all of them. Some people take three, some take five, some take ten. You know, monastics, um, the, the male monastics have 200 and some, and the females have 300 and some, because it just takes so much more for us to get things. And so, uh, so uh, but I mean, and some take one, and some don't even take any. He says, don't take a vow until it is really your intention to enter into it, to become the vow that you take. And so I never encourage people to rush into doing things because after you get into it, it's like, oh, well, you know, I, I, I want to go this far. I don't want to go this far. And so it's, uh, it's better to take this much of a, a vow, make this much of an intention, and to live that fully than to take this and live only only half of it. And so in these ways, we stop like comparing or we stop piling up, stop piling up things, uh, 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 vows or, or, uh, or uh, initiations uh, as if they are some kind of spiritual trophies because they're really not. It's just whatever, uh, whatever is my intention and what helps me to live into that. That's what's important. So if you can only take one vial, just take one. If you can only take three, just take three. If you can take five, take five. If you really want to take 10 and move into that, take 10. But don't just take them to say, oh, well, I do this and I've taken that initiation. And I've gotten, you know, uh, it, it, it is, they are not spiritual trophies. And the danger of them is better to not vow a vow or to give back a vow than to uh, take one and not live and not live up to it. So now this gets us into the and this is not even a Dhamma talk. This gets us into the area of of uh, inner integrity um, because that's the foundation or the soil in which all of our practice. Um, you know, takes place in. And so that soil, if that soil is contaminated, then then nothing that grows uh, will grow well, will grow healthy. Or, um, uh, and so it's, it's uh, really taking our time to understand things. Uh, there's a, at the beginning of this uh, chapter on description of virtue, he says, when a wise man established well in virtue, develops consciousness and understanding, then he succeeds in disentangling this tangle. This was said, but why was it said? While the Blessed One was living at Savati, it seems a certain deity came to him in the night, a shining being. So that means not a human being, a being of a different classification. They called them the shining ones, came to him in the night uh, in order to do away with his own doubts. And he asked this question, the inner tangle and the outer tangle. This generation is entangled in a tangle, you said. And so I ask you, Gautama, this question, who succeeds in disentangling this tangle? And the Buddha went on to say the tangle is the term for or means uh, craving that we're constantly caught in craving. You know, every moment, every of the day, we're engaged, entangled in the craving, if no more than just the craving for being. Then, so that this is uh, uh, we're constantly caught in this tangle of uh, this web of craving. Uh, and and he said that uh, it. Uh, um, it's the craving for uh, things one wants for oneself and things that one wants 
for others, you know, but yet it is still craving. It's what makes us uh, do things and maybe in the doing of them, we, we go beyond uh, what's reasonably useful or wise or uh, but with the best intention. It's because of our craving for something even uh, even for others. So it's not just all about selfish craving, but it is is uh, seeing um, the uh, uh, recognizing that our uh, capacity for functioning in a place of e e e e equanimity and equanimous living is tied directly to the extent that we can uproot this continual crave this continual craving and so um while that wasn't the dharma talk it's a good lead in for what i do want to talk about <laughs> today so uh and i thought it might be nice to just start with that because mine started in my usual um in my usual way let no one deceive another or despise anyone anywhere you know so that's how i was approaching it until my eyes fell on this explanation of virtue and it really softened <laughs> what came to me to share how i would inform you know um according to uh the part of the doctrine that I wanted to share today. So I wanted to talk about living spiritual life, you know, and what it is to live a spiritual life. Uh, to live a spiritual life is to be open to the notion that we can live harmoniously uh, with, uh, with others and, and letting that conviction inform our intercourse with others, not just what we say to others, not just the actions we take, what we do for, to, or with others, but actually informing the, the thoughts, um, uh, the thoughts about those that we spend our life with. Okay. And what's necessary is a sense of, of unity with others that becomes greater than our sense of, of ourselves, greater uh, the need for unity becomes greater than the need for self-satisfaction. That's the bottom line. And until we can do that, we're not on the path of pursuing a spiritual life because it requires um, um, a tearing down of the walls between self and others and uh, an integration uh, and a capacity for us to uh, hold one another with uh, with a kind of equal, uh, kind of equalness that le that levels the playing field, so that there is really no um, me interacting with you. It's like a blending, like all, all, like all of the tributaries that flow into one stream, or all the streams that flow into one river. And uh, in the beginning, where they might enter, I've been uh, out on certain waterways and I'll look and here's like a blue stream of water and here's sort of like a green one and here's like a muddy one you know and then they flow into that main river and they intermingle and it just becomes one river one water so this is this is the process of of uh embarking upon and and entering into <coughs> excuse me the spiritual the spiritual life and if we um, don't do that, then every day, every day, we'll be like navigating the obstacle course. Every day, um, every situation will uh, feed the next conflict, or, or it will be a feedback loop onto the last conflict, and we'll never be living in the... Uh, the peace and the tranquility and the joy of being in uh, in the present moment and unified in such a way that there's uh, no demarcation between uh, me and you. This is this is the goal and this is the objective. But if we don't know that, then we don't move towards that. You know, uh, that's why I want you to know uh, what how what the mindset should be. 
for embarking upon a spiritual life. It's a, there's no way to have a self-awakening without there being the uprooted rooting of the self and there becomes an integration of self with with others. And so um, so if we're going about it any other kind of way than then to uh, move towards to see to desire this kind of integration and and you know some of it is um, is karmic. I mean you have to have a certain karmic affinity um, for for this. I'm the kind of person who's all my life loved um, uh, communal communal living. You know, some people don't. We're in a culture that that it just you know for it to be communal living, it has to be in their minds a cult because it's unnatural. But you know, actually, this whole sense of being individuated and and um, thinking only of oneself or certainly what's best for me versus what's best for us, um, uh, that is the fundamental um, uh, misuse of the preciousness of human of human life. But but we don't see it because our society is formed and upheld in in a different in a different way. So this can be a great challenge because of all of the signs signs, the sounds, the voices, the signals that we give that we get from our society that tells us what is normal, you know, uh, like self-preservation is the first law of nature. You know, we just take it and go from there. Uh, so this, these are the, uh, these are the messages that we get. And yet there is a yearning for something else and how to, um, allow that to come forth in us, uh, thinking like even innately, uh, that's the way to go. And then when we try it, it just becomes like, uh, almost like a, uh, a nightmare. And, and it's, um, it's uh can be a great challenge because most of us can are not even in harmony with ourselves you know i mean you know isn't that right we torment our own selves we judge our own selves we have unhealthy and even malicious ways of of dealing with and speaking to ourselves so how can we expect to be any better with others so that's why the Buddha tells us that we have to spend a lot of time uh, working with ourselves, working with ourselves, not like setting everybody else up like with our, with our story, like this is how I am, you know, uh, this, this is how I am, this is what I've done, this is what has happened to me. That's all about getting you onto my program. And we don't think of it that way. We don't understand it in that way. You know, but what we're doing is we're trying to fix a ground here, you know, where we with whatever uh, um, uh, dysfunctions that we have can find a degree of safety, you know. So if you know that I have this, then you'll handle me in a certain way. You won't overstimulate me. You won't, you know, it's all about what you won't do so that I can be okay. But yet, I say I am not okay. But I resist anything else that comes to, that could be an alternative to my not okayness by requiring that I, I take up a different uh, habit or a different practice or that I have to look at something a different way. As soon as you start with, with, with uh, another way to look at it, like, like why well, I want to really hold on to, to my way because I know what this is, I know what I'm doing with this, but are you still suffering? If so, then maybe there is another way. And being open and, and willing uh, to to try and see if there is another way. Now, that's why after all of the intention that goes into the uh, and the effort, most spiritual communities. And I'm not talking now just about residential. I'm talking about you know because there are very few residential spiritual communities. Most of them are you come and you go. You know, so like like churches or synagogues or temples or you know other places where we are are trying to develop our capacity first for just humanness. You know, 
and then to be the best human that we can be. But that's why in those communities, you know, uh, the, these these places become uh, like, uh, you know, places of extreme hypocrisy, places of extreme judgment and backbiting and ill will. And, and if we make any progress or think we're coming in better than those people there, uh, self-righteousness. That's why we find them in the very places that we're looking for relief, in the very places that we're looking for release, in the very places that we call cities of refuge. And that's why the Buddha starts with an inner training of metta and an outer training of dana. The inner training, metta, loving kindness, and there's so many ways that, that this can be, um, again, uh, expressed or defined. But in its most basic, uh, elementary, first step is, is just loving being kind. It's hard to even tolerate people if you think that they're too kind. No, so loving being kind. And, and what that really means, thinking about what we can do to support someone else who's struggling or who's struggling with something, you know, unwholesome and deciding how to be less self-absorbed and more respectful and appreciative of their predicament. Not only their predicament, but more uh, appreciative of others' time, or their interests, their efforts, their aspirations, their views. So it's, it's kind when you come, it can be something as simple as picking up after yourself. You know, when uh, in a Dharma hall, after you get out the chair and, and, and the chair sideways, setting the chair back up straight, because if you don't do it, somebody else is going to uh, have to do it when they come in to set up for the ne next group of people that's coming into the Dharma hall. It's like seeing a piece of trash, you know, on the sidewalk and stepping over it because like that's not my job. It's like, you know, it's something like that. So so loving kindness filters down into being very circumspect about where we are and the level of our appreciation for who we're with in in every moment. It's a certain mindfulness around that. And it takes time to cultivate that, but cultivate it we must. And it takes a, a uh, a certain uh, uh, looking to even be able to cultivate it because we don't really even think about it. I, I would think of myself being way more loving and kind if I were to see someone and I'm walking out the door just talking with them, you know, as we step out, both of us step over the piece of paper on the trash on the floor or thinking you know always using the bathroom and never thinking I'm the one who should clean the bathroom today somebody else does that we don't pay anybody to do it but somebody does it you know so when do I think it's my turn never you know it's it's just the unmindfulness in this kind of way and if we um, equated it to or put it into that virtue in this sense that we could call loving kindness, then we could see, oh, Panjwadi, you got work to do. And so, uh, so we think in these kinds of, of ways. Uh, there's another word I like for loving kindness more, uh, for metta more than loving kindness, and it's goodwill. Because loving kindness can be a little difficult to, um, you know, it has some kind of like a feeling, feeling wrapped up in it. You know, so sometimes we start thinking about loving kindness and it gets sort of touchy-feely. And so then we start thinking we're only being, you know, showing loving kindness if we're being touchy-feely, you know, and and it's not exactly like that. So I, I like uh, sometimes to think of it more in terms of of uh, showing good w goodwill. Uh, so goodwill is like the will to do good. 
<laughs> the will to do good towards others. Um, it's like uh, offering a helping hand rather than rendering a judgment. It is uh, goodwill is when you offer the helping hand or do something because you uh, recognize some deficiency. It's like uh, doing it but not with the mind that is uh, uh, criticizing or judging it. Otherwise, that's like putting fresh vegetables um, in a pot of spoiled stock. You know, it's just going to spoil the whole soup. It's almost better to not do it if to, than to do it with that attitude. I mean, we have to really know what what virtue is and, and you know, uh, what it really looks like. Otherwise, we'll be thinking, like, I just give myself, I do all of this, and, you know, there's no appreciation or there's nothing or I'm tired of babysitting or whatever. You know, so we have to check. So we have to go back. It's, like, it's okay if we get off the path, but when you, but, but in reflecting, you know, when you put what is path up against the, up against what I am thinking, then it, then it encourages us to get back on the path. That's all. We don't have to go along and woe is me, woe is me. Just when I realize that this is past and I'm over here, get back on the path. You know, it's as simple, as simple as that. And the more that we start doing that, there's a great joy in that. This is a, a, a joy. I'm just thinking about it right now. The, the great joy that comes when we recognize that we are off the path. And we recognize that because our sense of contentment goes away. Our sense of, of joy goes away. Our joy is in once we have glimpsed the path, it's being on it. And when we step off it, then uh, our joy dissipates. So the joy is not in everything being copacetic out there. The joy is knowing firmly where our feet are planted, knowing that we are on the path of, of the way leading up what the Buddha called it. And so it has its own uh, fruit. It has its own reward. It has its own benefit, regardless of what somebody else does. It's what I do, where I am on the path. It's what brings me joy and contentment, even if the whole world is crashing down, you know, around me. But not only that, does it give contentment, it has a sustaining power in the face of adversity or in the vicissitudes of life or even like in your deepest, darkest moment or when you're thinking like nothing's going to get any better than this. I know I'm off the path. When the mind goes there, I know I'm off the path. Because on the path teaches us how the mind, uh, the attitude that one should have to cause the next moment, to create a different next moment than this current moment, than this present moment. And we are always creating the next moment by the action we take in the present moment by the words that we speak in the present moment, by the thoughts that we think in the present moment. And so we have to train our minds to make our intentions trustworthy. You know, and, uh, and how do we do that? The first step is to counter the habitual tendency to judge people. You know? Instead, look at the situation and decide uh, what could make this better, you know, and then jump right in and do that. I remember I was at a, I was a, a, at a retreat in, uh, outside of Albuquerque, uh, what's that retreat center? Um, you know, Okay, so, well, I was at a retreat center, and they had, uh, you know, uh, it was a heavy rain, like this is sort of like the desert, right? But there is a little short, like, rainy season. But because everything is so desert-like and dry, there's not a lot of roots and things to hold water, you know, uh, in the soil. So when there is a rain, it's, it's not a really good thing. And so 
uh, during the retreat, there was a, a rain. And I mean, in about 30 minutes, the water was like, like this at this uh, uh, retreat center. And it was a very famous retreat center. And there were some, uh, some of us more well-known nationally uh, teachers there. And, you know, when you're around other teachers, um, uh, you you really mind your manners. You, you like you watch your behaviors and that sort of thing, right? <laughs> so we're all there, and uh, and this rain comes, and quickly it 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 just the water just starts rising, and the water was pouring in. The, uh, the Dharma Hall is like below the the terrain around it. And the water started pouring down into the zendo. Um, and uh, and right away, uh, people got up and they started doing. And we had to make a train with water buckets. It's just pouring down, and we the only thing we could do, you know, was to just keep throwing off buckets of water because there was like a little uh, ledge or you know here where we could throw the water down there. It's pouring here. We're scooping it and we're throwing it down there. So we formed a train, and we were doing that. And there were some um, monastics there, and oh, I wanted, I wanted to help, you know. Um, but the general view is that we give what we can give, which is the Dharma, and others do what they could do, which was to gather the buckets of water, and. I just so want, I just hiked up my robe and tied it around my, I took it off my shoulders, tied it around my waist and hiked up the bottom and tucked it into the top to bring my robe up to my knees so that I could step down in the water. And I just started, you know, because the moment demanded that, you know, the moment demanded that. This had nothing to do with what our tradition says. It has nothing to do with what I, the moment demanded. All hands on deck, and and I jumped down in there, you know, and uh, so right away some people went and got cameras. They started click, clicking, you know, and I'm like, don't put this up on it because I'm going to get these letters that say, you know, sister, you know, you disrespected the dharma or the the monastic order, ah, uh, whatever. You know, but uh, but once I did that, something happened. All of them started. But it took someone knowing that, you know, uh, we're not made for rules. They're made for us. They're made for us to show us how to, uh, in real life, in real time, how to be on the path. You see, and so if we're not careful, then they just become some kind of mental thing, some kind of intellectual. This is a right way to think, a way to be, but we don't actually do it. We don't actually walk in the mindset. We just know the precept. You see, and it shows up. It shows up in our way of life. It shows up in our interaction with each other. It shows up in our discontent and our unhappiness. It shows up. It shows up. And so, so we have to train the mind in breaking the habitual tendencies uh, that uh, make our intentions untrustworthy. So um, the other one, and that's like goodwill or loving kindness, uh, metta. The other is dana or generosity. And, and we think of dana as money or giving money, but that's just the smallest part, a very necessary part for sure, unless we all want to sit up under a tree. But it is a small you know it's it's the least it it's more of cultivating and developing a certain uh type of of attitude that far more than the gift of 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 
that's being given is the intention and the state of mind when giving, when giving of your wealth, when giving of your uh, uh, time, when giving of your wisdom, when giving of your effort. It is the, the mind, the, uh, the, uh, the state of mind and the intention uh, that underlies whatever we are doing. And so uh, the Buddha describes it as, as uh, taking, giving away something that's valuable as if taking that diamond ring and as if, and just whoever catches it, you can have it. It's worth something. Go sell it and get what you need. It's like that. It's taking something, not just giving what's not valuable, not just giving our least, not just, but taking what is valuable that we know is valuable. And then uh, taking away its sense of preciousness to us and just, and just offering it and flinging it off as if it is nothing, not holding on to it or not holding on to the thought of giving this valuable thing. You see, now some of us might have to work with that notion, you know, uh, but this is, this is, this is dharmic development. If this is what we're after, <laughs> if we're not, that's a different thing. But if we are, this is what it takes. So sometimes we have to restructure the very nature of appearances for us to enter onto this path, to even be able to see the doorway. I tell you of a truth, this past Sunday, if you weren't here, you missed something special. Because we were in the presence of divine beings. I mean, they, it was, it was really, really special. It was really, really something. But that comes when our minds start to resonate with and be in tune with good friends who have that same kind of mind stream. Um, and so this uh, giving in this way is a cause for happiness. It's a seed plant. It's a planting, you know, and it's a cause that produces happiness. It produces a present happiness and it produces a future happiness. So uh, everything we do actually is a seed that produces something. But if you're looking for the seed of happiness, it is in Donna. Whatever we offer, offering it with this um, kind of attitude. And after a while, it becomes one where it doesn't require anything. You don't have to like keep applying, you know, perfume. Uh, after a while, it's like just in your skin, a little dab will do you. You know, and as you walk around, the fragrance is there. It just wafts off of you. And you don't think of, uh, there is no conceit, I, I am doing, or I am giving, or I am helping, I am fixing, or I am, the I just goes away. And there's a doing without doing, and yet nothing goes undone. Yeah. It's a, it's something, it's something like that. It is a, uh, it becomes a, a all hands on deck mentality, you know, um, and, and one's sense of one's, um, has no sense of one even doing their fair share. It, it has no sense of an eye at all. Uh, it's just seeing something that needs to be done and doing it. But then it gets to expand even more than that. Uh, you know how children, like, they want things, but they have no idea about what it takes. Like somebody goes and they work an hourly wage to get them that thing. You know, they just think, I want uh, this, is, I want this, and they can't understand why they don't have it. Or, or they're saying that, uh, you know, we should have this or we need this, you know, without any thought of what someone else has to do 
to make that possible, you know. But then we start to grow up and we start to uh, see and understand what it takes. And, and we start to find our place in making that offering available to others instead of just putting notes in the suggestion box. We need a this, or we should have a that. <laughs> yeah. It's something like that. And it changes our dynamic in our relationships at home. You know, I remember when I was married and, you know, I always married a man who could cook because that's not my, you know, I didn't want to do that. And I didn't mind working. I was a business person. So I didn't want to cook. I didn't want to clean, you know, the house. I didn't want to wash clothes. I didn't want to do those kinds of things. You know, maybe it was just an aversion to the kind of life my mother had. You know, that I was not going to, I was not going to do that. I don't know, but, or, or maybe, I don't know. And so I, I went, I would interview men. I like to go over, you know, cause no point in wasting time. I like to go over to their place. First of all, you better have a place. You know, that was number one, you know, but I go over to their place and I like to see how they kept because I'm not picking up after anybody. Um, and whether they had any food in the refrigerator, you know, or, or, or like my third husband, he had enough money, he didn't have to have it. We ate out every day. We spent between three and 5000 a month back in the 80s eating out. And that whenever I was great for me, though, I, lo I loved it. I gained 50 pounds, but, um, <laughs> but I loved it. But, you know, but when we first started hanging out, you know, um, like in, well, a living in situation, he'd say, oh, what are we having for dinner? I'm like, whatever you fix it, you know? And that's how we started going out. He, he said, well, uh, my vote is we go out. I said, it's mine too then. Especially, I mean, we had a business together. We work hard all day in business. And they start talking about dinner. It's like restaurant is the word, you know? And, uh, and so, so I would always, and, and then they had to be able to sing because I liked, um, a man with a good voice. You know, I liked music and, and I wanted them to be able to serenade me, had to be able to sing. I mean, now, now if you were good in all the other ways and you couldn't sing, it was no problem with that. You know, there's somebody for you. But for me, I, I wanted someone who could sing. And so, I, so I had my my re requirements, you know, and I knew what part I was going to provide because I was good with business. I could make money, and you know, and everything would be okay. You definitely had to be able, you know, like straightening up and washing and washing clothes. Um, and so uh, there was a, you know, part of it is is. When I approached the spiritual life, you know, I had to give up those kinds of notions. I brought them with me into the spiritual life. But quickly, when I began to understand what was required for it, I had to abandon that kind of notion. And what I loved about communal living was there was more people to do things, you know. so. So I might have to clean, but I don't have to clean everything. I might have to cook, but many hands make work light. I might have to do, you know. And so it became I wanted to contribute because when I had a chore, I wanted somebody to contribute, you know. And then after a while, it moved from that place to just seeing whatever needed to be done. And so I would join a new church. I would join, you know, a new uh temple and when I would go in I just wanted first thing is like I'll do I, you know anything I'll clean the bathrooms the latrines I'll clean you know I just wanted to do anything I could do you know and um, many times they would say no they say we just want you to sit here and get the Dharma first you know and then let what naturally starts rising up rise up so that means we have to have some patience with folk it takes some time right it takes some time. 
And it means that we make up the slack. But if we do it with a cantankerous heart, the opening will never be there, you know, for the realization to enter the space, you know, and people see the joy that comes out of the doing, out of the giving. You know, and that's how, how we help others grow on this path. So it is recognizing that everything we do is precious and valuable, yet considering it not once we toss it out there. You know, don't, uh, not like a boomerang, not like it's coming back, not with a string attached that I can pull it back. And so in this way, giving is a cause for inner happiness. The Buddha said, if you want to know how to be happy, give. That's how you find happiness. And there's something in the giving that doesn't always feel like giving, you know. In some situations, giving is like the giving of patience, you know, um, with your partner, with people, you know, in your place of employment, with your, uh, um, with your, your neighbors, uh, when they have a, a different view than you have. Some giving is just giving them the respect of a view that might differ from yours. You know, we don't have to make everybody think the way we think or believe what we believe or embrace what we embrace. Um, um, I mean, and when we talk about this word, belief is so charged and it's so packed. Uh, with our uh, Dharmacharya students the other night, uh, there was one guy, uh, a Zen, Zen guy, and he was like, you know, I have problems with my Sangha. Uh, you know, he's a, a teacher and he has a, a Sangha, and he says, I have a problem. You know, my Sangha has a problem whenever you start talking about Belief. I said, no, we only have a problem talking about belief when it's something we don't want to believe. You know, there's many things that we believe, you know, uh, when we lay out our clothes for tomorrow, you know, and, and believe we're going to wake up, you know, or, you know, or that we still have a job tomorrow or that we, ha- you know, I mean, there's a whole lot of things that we could just loosely say we believe. You know, but then when we start talking about something that gets into an area that, that challenges our preconceived notions or goes against it, then we like, got this real big flag around, around the word belief, you know. And so Panya Deepa said, well then, okay, scratch that word and just use the word confidence. I have some confidence that this is the way or that this is useful or that this will inure to something good. So we have to have the confidence then that generosity uh, inures to happiness. Uh, that gives us some sense of, of delight in being present. Otherwise, what's our purpose? It gives us some, some sense of presence, some sense of contributing to the present moment with whatever energy, whatever understanding, whatever kindness, whatever substance we have. Yeah? And so he says these two give us a gratitude for life that begins to increase and our preoccupation with what is wrong in the world will diminish and it'll become more balanced by uh, or with what is right in the world, or what is right in my life, or what is right. You, uh, that's how you diminish that imbalance around uh, what is uh, what is wrong. And when we're cultivating along these lines, we begin to develop um, a true spiritual life. So we start right here with generosity and with goodwill. Any equanimity or peacefulness that that we think we have without there being some perfection of these two is uh, is false. It's a spiritual bypass because equanimity is built upon these. Hmm. These fruits will sustain us. They will keep our heart in times of trouble and they will conduce to harmony 
both within the Sangha or the community of Dharmic friends and without. That means one of a different political party, one of a different ethnicity, one of a different socioeconomic status, one of a different class, culture, educational level, wherever we put up these walls, it will bring them down. Let no one deceive another, the Buddha said, or despise anyone, anywhere. May you be well and happy and peaceful. May no harm come to you and no danger. May you always be able to meet with the inevitable difficulties of life. Don't try to remember the whole Dharma talk. Just try to take the one thing that like bullseye for you. That's all you have to work with is that one thing. And when you sit in your meditation, you can reflect on that one thing. On this, in this wise, when we reflect on the one thing, not in once we recognize that that thing jumps up, sticks up for us, we reflect on what the cure for it is. You know, he tells us suffering, you know, should be known. So we do have to recognize that. This is causing me suffering. Now, so we should, 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 should recognize suffering. But then he says that suffering has a cause. And we should identify, according to those we consider wise, what that cause could be. This isn't anything that has a cause has a cure. And walking the eightfold noble path, or I like to say ennobling, it makes us noble. The ennobling path is the way leading towards the cure. <laughs> so we should sit more with ourselves and more with what we see coming up and maybe talk about it less with others and judge it less within ourselves. That's the biggest thing. If we didn't have to articulate everything that comes to mind and then find someone to agree with us on it, you know, but rather just take that time, see that tendency when it arises. Tamp that down. A lot of times I do things that I don't want to do, you know. A lot of times I agree to things and I feel like this is going to hurt, like we're going to have to get this pet policy straightened out in here. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But we can get it straightened out without there being a whole ruckus. I remember when the whole issue came up about, uh, well, so uh, Don was taking care of, of the birds. And he was putting up all these wonderful things, and the birds are just flocking like, we're in paradise, right? And then somebody comes with cats. The cats are chasing the birds. Don said, I can't do this because I'm attracting them for the cats to kill them. And in good conscience, I can't do this, you know. So they have to put a bell on the on the cat so that that uh, the birds will know when the cats are coming. And then the one who had the cat said, "No, because the cat, you know, putting that on could cause the cat to get hung up on something, putting something around." And so it became, you know, it was here was an issue clear and present, you know. But I looked at how we worked it out. You know, we talked it all out. Do we bind this one to free that one? I mean, what do we do? How does one work with their own um, intention, their own understanding, their own integrity? And and what? For, and the fine Don came back and he said, "Okay, this is what I'll do." He says, "The birds that are such prey 
for the cats, I won't attract them. I'll let them go somewhere else. I'll take care of the hummingbirds, you know, because the hummingbirds, cats can't catch them. Uh, and that's what he did, you know. And it just became what could have been a real issue, became a non-issue, executed with wisdom and compassion as each understood it. So now no bell on the cat and no, you know, attracting birds for the cats to kill. Everything just perfect. That's, that's the wisdom of wanting, you know, to um, really wanting to be in a place of, un of unity. Yeah. And so when you go home today, these challenges that you face with uh, your loved ones, you know, I think there's a something, something cruel about this whole concept of family and loved ones, because they sure do bring us a whole lot of grief. <laughs> Boy, that's our practice right there. Yeah, you, that's our practice right there. But uh, take something from today's lesson and treat someone a little differently today and see if it doesn't bring you a sense of contentment, a sense of, of joy, or certainly a sense that I am able to handle what concerns me today. And I'm even able to not interfere inordinately in what doesn't concern me. That's the other side of it. And if we can do those two things, we will dwell in happiness. And as the Buddha said, we will not deceive another or despise anyone anywhere. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.